0: But without a doubt, Psalm 100 is probably uh, one of the shortest psalms in the whole New Testament. Except maybe Psalm 117, which is a whopping two lines. I know some of you are saying, why couldn't you have preached on that one? But this morning we're looking at Psalm 100, and it's probably one of the greatest and and most known psalms of all time. It has had endless influence on both historical psalms, as well as many modern praise songs, It has helped shape many theological and practical ideas on what it means to worship God and why we worship God. And though Psalm 100 is verse of this like influence. I said it's also one of great simplicity. It is short. It is full of brevity. We learn a lesson that in Psalms like this and, and the influence that it has that perhaps sometimes the simplest of things can also be the most profound. In most Bibles, as you're opening to Psalm 100, there's probably a small header right above your Bible. And it says, This is a psalm of praise. You guys see that? This is a psalm of praise. But what's interesting is that the, the Hebrew there says that it the words there, Mizmo Tusoda, actually say this. This is a psalm of giving, or Thanksgiving. The idea of praise there actually incorporates or carries with it, integrates into it the meaning of sacrifice, giving praise to the point on where it causes you to sacrifice. If I'm correct in my understanding, Psalm 100 is a reading and a reflection that has been used on a daily basis by Jews for centuries. It's this thing that they are to read and to reflect on throughout the weekday, that they are to read it and, and constantly look at it. And it's been that way for centuries. This psalm speaks of the thanksgiving offering. That, that's what this psalm was used for a thanksgiving offering. And, and in that, it was uh, kind of throughout history, it's been this time where during the weekday, if you experience something of God moving in your life, and you were just grateful for it. You would bring a sacrifice to the temple, and you would enter the courts and kind of just give this costly sacrifice to yourself to thank God for what he's doing. And it was specifically for certain kinds of uh, healing that God would bring forward. So if you had a captive, that, a friend that was a captive who was freed, or a person who crossed the sea and survived, Uh, you know, if you had a friend who traversed the desert and survived, or someone you know had kind of recovered from an illness, you would definitely want to take part in this offering of thanksgiving. And you would bring something along with a song, and you would lay it in the temple, and as you're laying there, as you're preparing it there, the Levites, they're kind of like the house band of the club, and and they were sitting over there, and they'd kind of strike up, and the song they would play for you to sing as you were doing this was Psalm 100. It's this very public, liturgical uh, kind of way of thanking God for how good he is. Now, when we tend to think of Thanksgiving, we tend to think of what's going to happen this week, this time where we gather around a meal, we eat too much family food, food we, we pretend to love family a little more than we actually do sometimes, right? You guys are really, come on. How many of you pretend to love your family a little bit more? No, I'm just teasing. So, you know, it's this time, and this is what we think of Thanksgiving in our minds. But in this psalm, it's really a gift of sacrifice. It's this song that you sing that cost you something. In this psalm, let me just say this before we read it, we also get this, that Even though it's incorporated into this idea of bringing a sacrifice, it is also just a public song that was used to, you know, really reflect on how good God is. So before you're like, well, I haven't had a friend cross the ocean lately, or or, I haven't survived traversing the desert. Guys, every day is one of those things for us. But on top of that, this song is just used to remind ourselves at a costly price how good God is and that we are called to praise him just because he is God. In some ways, I would say that Psalm 100 is used to publicly put our hearts back into alignment where our attitude and gratitude should be. Let me say that again. Psalm 100 is used to publicly together put back into alignment where our attitude and our gratitude should be. So let's read Psalm 100. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read it from the screen this morning as well. Shout to the joy, to shout, to shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his Pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It's a powerful song. It's this great confession, short but full of great richness on what it means to worship God. And that first line sets the tone shouts of his goodness. Shout that the Lord is the God of all the earth. Worship the Lord with shouting gladness. We get this idea that we are to be taking over. It's to be bubbling over the top. That we are to scream and proclaim the goodness of God. You may recall that a few months ago we actually looked at this passage as part of our values series. And in our value series, we kind of looked at our core values as a church, and we talked about in our, our core value of worship that we're really working on worshiping God simply because he's God, and the chief end of all mankind is to worship God. And And as we thought about that, we looked at Psalm 100, and, and in many ways, this is what this psalm's about. It's remind us, inviting us to remember who God is. It also reorients us to why we worship, and at the end, it also creates this kind of openness in ourselves, or availability in ourselves to God. However, this morning as we enter the late fall season and we get to kind of pause and focus on what it means to be thankful in our yearly traditions, I want us to focus on the idea of thanksgiving in this. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. What we see through this psalm is that it kind of demonstrates this normal psalm of praise that we find in all the psalms. And verses 1 through 4 really are this extended invitation. So if you're looking at the five verses in your Bible, 1 through 4 are simply an invitation to praise. It's, it's the Levites, the house band, they're over here playing and getting everyone riled up. And they're reminding us this reason that we enter worship. Come and shout. This is the attitude in which we are supposed to have. And then we get into the fourth verse, which is really an imperative to what that worship entails, and what it means, right, to know that he is God. And then verse 4 is the reason, I mean verse 5 is the reason that we worship. And so this is a traditional song for, for Israel. It's a long invitation to why we worship, and we do so because God is good and his love endures the imperative there is that in worship we are to know the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In this sense we get this sense that we are to sit in worship and be moved to a sense of contentment with God. This imperative this verse 4 is Central to this psalm. While all songs of praise kind of are instructional, the structure and the content of Psalm 100 really focused on this third verse. Know the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We are His, His people. We are the sheep of His power. Folks, the psalm is saying, this is why we worship. This is the way to know the Lord. We worship because it is he who made us. We worship because we are his. We are his people. In fact, we're like the sheep of his pasture. And we sing. We are invited to sing to be reminded, to be hurtled back into the pasture together to remind ourselves of him as our shepherd. The statement that the psalm creates is one that realigns and reorients us back to simply understanding this. God rules the world, and consequently, we belong to God. This message lies not only at the heart of the book of Psalms, but also at the center or the heart of Jesus' preaching and the whole Scripture. Now, let me just tangent for a moment. Reflecting on this passage on a daily basis might be a good practice for us as Christians, too. In fact, I think it's pretty admirable that our uh, brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith would read this on an everyday basis. Perhaps the reminder that we are not our own is one of the most difficult lessons for us to hear. Not only is it probably one of the most difficult lessons for us to hear as humans, it's probably one of the hardest for us to accept, to face, to own in the culture in which we live. We are not our own is important for us to hear as those who have been formed and shaped, maybe unconsciously, as Americans that have long celebrated their independence from control of anyone or anything. We are not our own is important for us to face and to hear as those who have been formed and shaped by a modern societal influence that is self-made, and, and our, we find men and women screaming, I can do it myself, I can go it alone, and my favorite, I don't need anyone's help. We are not own, our own. It's important for us to hear as those who have been formed and shaped by church movements that split any time somebody's theology or way of living or tradition makes us uncomfortable we are not our own, is important for us as Anabaptist people to hear and to remind ourselves of that have somehow twisted the idea of the priesthood of all believers to mean that no one, no authority can keep us accountable, no system, no people, no policy, no theology, because after all, we are all priests. Psalm 100 reminds us that it is not our life but rather a life gifted by God and that must be lived back in the worship of God. It's important we keep this psalm before us. and Maybe I would even challenge you that just to keep this before you this week. What does it mean to daily remind ourselves, to realign, to reorient ourselves to this psalm that says, we are not our own. My life is not mine to live, but rather a life gifted to God, and I must Give back my life in worship, in this thanksgiving that costs me something. It's through that kind of realignment, that daily reorientation, that we can actually find ourselves open and available to God. We find that openness and availability kind of entrenched into the idea of thanksgiving, with gifts of thanksgiving. In verse 4, we read this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, did you hear how we are to enter his gates, his courts? Already with thanksgiving and praise on our lips. Sometimes for some reason in the church, we've gotten this idea that we come to church to sing, which prepares us to hear the word. But when we live under God as realizing our life is not our we are to come already singing songs of thanksgiving, already overflowing with songs of praise. This isn't like a a place in which our hearts are prepared. This is a place where our hearts overflow together because we've already begun to enter his gates. Let's picture those doors as his gates. As we've entered here, we've already entered them with songs of thanksgiving. While there's much language in here that kind of incorporates you know, language or the idea of kingdom or temples and, and great procession. There's actually something else that we as followers of Jesus can take away from this Old Testament song. And one of those is, our lives are already inside those courts. Now here is this tradition and where people would bring a sacrifice and they would walk into these courts and they would make this daily sacrifice. But folks, let me explain something for a minute. Those courts are something we enter in daily. As followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus embodied. He announced and he demonstrated the rule and the reign of God, that thing we had hoped for and longed for, into the present. And though we believe he's defined, we confess that his actions were 100% human, and what we saw him do was really set a precedent and a model to how we too must embody, announce, And demonstrate the rule in the reign of God. The rule of reign of God throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament has always been seen through the language of kingdoms. John the Baptist, as he's preparing the way for Jesus, this kind of prophet of a peculiar nature, sits and he declares that soon God would send a Messiah. And that Messiah would bring the kingdom of God. The courts of God's rule and reign. They would... Come into the present. The gospel writers declare time and time again that Jesus came preaching and proclaiming the good news and the goodness of God's kingdom. We don't enter courts anymore. Jesus opened, blew open, expanded the courts in his ministry. Our lives are lived inside those courts. We do not have this liturgical practice of bringing sacrifice Uh, when something or someone we love experiences God, actually that's a daily task that we have been charged with now. Where Psalm 100 was used as individuals to remind themselves to reorient and realign themselves back to God's goodness, through gratitude, we as people who live within his courts are always called to live with thanksgiving, and praise on our lips. We enter every day already being involved and moved by these gifts, this sense of giving and thanks. The psalmist not only invites us to know that he is God and that we too are gods, but he invites us to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now, I don't know about you, but as I enter this Thanksgiving season, I always think, man, I need to learn to be a little bit more grateful The rest of the year, too. Or, man, I need to learn to be a little bit more moved by content year by year, month by month, week by week, day by day, and second by second. Now, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. It's always been since I was a kid. It means this big family reunion where we get together, we play games, we eat way too much food. And in that, I am moved into a routine of being thankful for my stuff. Isn't that what Thanksgiving is really about for us? It's about taking notice of our stuff and learning to be happy for it. However, folks, I think that this psalm says that we have been called to be thankful for more than just our stuff. We have been called to live such thanksgiving or gratitude year round that is much more contagious, integrated, intentional and evident and just this kind of seasonal celebration i lament that we as a culture invest so much time complaining about our lives our societies our jobs our churches our family people who think politically different than us and so on in many ways i think we make our complaints and our discontent more central to who we are than our contentment and our commitment. Let me say that again. I think we live lives that have made our discontent and our complaint more central to who we are than contentment and commitment. And Psalm 100 switches that for us. We are to enter these gates with only thanksgiving. In a roadmap too. Reconciliation, author Brenda McNeil writes that what we believe about God will tell us what we believe about people. And what we believe about people will tell us what kind of communities and societies we believe we should strive to create. Now think about that. What we believe about God, we end up believing about people. And what we believe about people will shape what kind of church we have, what kind of neighborhoods we have, what kind of relationships we have. Think about this for a minute. Does your relationships with your job, your church, your political party, your family, your friends, reflect a attitude of gratitude, or maybe just a bad attitude? Are you more moved by your contentment and your commitment in those things, and when you enter those things, when you enter things, when you enter church, when you enter your, are you moved by contentment and commitment to it, or are you moved by the discontentment and the complaint? And far too often, I think we're moved by discontentment and complaint. Far too often, I am moved myself by discontentment and complaint. Think about this for a minute, Complaint and discontent is a lack in trust in what God is doing. Complaint and discontent is a failure to see what God may want for us. Complaint and disconnect is kind of a failure to see what God is uh, giving us responsible for, what he might have called you to. When we allow discontent and complaint to rule our lives, to rule and reign in our lives— we actually then, as a people who live in the courts, live that discontentment and that complaint to Jesus. So anytime that we might cry, I don't like it, or it isn't fair, or I miss the way we used to, or enter whatever complaint you want, we should realize what we're saying is, it isn't fair, God. I don't like the way you have allowed this to happen, God. Because that is the truth as a people who live in his courts. Our discontent is what we are bringing in worship to God. So often we are moved by those things rather than being okay and noticing what God is doing in our midst. You know, when we are moved by complaint and discontent, I believe this is what happens. We move first into entitlement. You know, I'm discontent with the way this happens. Perhaps in your church or your family Or in your friendships. And so then you look over here. Wow, look at what those friends have. Look at what that person's house has. Look at what that church has. And you move into kind of this contentment, this entitlement that says, I need that. I don't only need that, I deserve that. You know, another word for this kind of discontent or complaint is covet folks the ten commandments have a lot to say about do not covet we live our lives coveting so often in entitlement and it all starts because we have allowed our lives to rule to be reigned by the idea of discontent and complaint rather than content and and commitment and i'm speaking about myself too This is just how we live as Americans. We are are so moved by our discontentment and so little by our contentment. You see, once a year we pause and we thank God for what we have while tiptoeing around our families so we don't get into a fight. We pause for a minute to be thankful. But far too often, what we are thankful for is related to what we have. However, this is a false narrative and a false capacity. Author and theologian Christine D. Poole says, Our capacity for gratitude is not connected with an abundance of resources, but rather with a capacity to notice what we do have. Ouch. To be honest, I think that's what's exactly at the heart of Psalm 100. It's about noticing what we do have. God. And God is We enter his gates and his courts with thanksgiving. We are able to recognize what's before us more than what's on the other side of the fence. It's about realizing the grass is green enough here because this is where God has me. I don't need the grass that's greener across the fence. The story of Israel is a story of people that get distracted by what's over the fence. The story of the church is the story of people that get distracted by what's over the fence. The story for me as a person, as a human, who wants more out of life, is somebody who is always distracted by what's over the fence. To be honest, our churches are full of individuals who are full of discontent and complaint. I know because I'm one of them, and I know some of you too. That's supposed to be funny. We are all moved by this sense of discontent and complaint. We form communities that are built on being thankful for what we want. I'm glad we have this. I'm glad we do it this way. I'm glad we sing this song. This song, however, reminds us to be thankful for what's right in front of us. This song reminds us to be thankful for what we can notice. And communities kind of that this reversal of thinking, where it's not made, this is what we see happen. And this, again, is from Christine Paul. She says, self-appointed prophets who tend to stand above their communities and offer criticism of the leadership and the congregation of their less-than-perfect efforts at the Christian life without the generosity that comes with grace and gratitude. They find fault with every in Denver while simultaneously longing for deeper connections and more vibrant shared life. Like parents who are never satisfied with their children's achievements, such persons destroy rather than build up. This is what emerges in community when we are not moved by grace and gratitude, by truth-telling. When gratitude is undervalued in community, self-appointed prophets arise, and they do nothing but destroy. Our commitment... Now listen to this, our commitment to complaint and discontent will rule and reign where the psalmist has invited us to allow God to rule and reign simply because he's good. Noticing what is in front of us with gratitude is present throughout the life of Jesus. We see him stop before he breaks bread, before he, t- he prays for people, and he thanks the Father. We see this thing, too, through Paul as he writes to the church. He writes them this, to the church in in Colossia. He writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you as richly as you are singing to God. Listen, it's the same language, with gratitude in your hearts. Now, Jews have this belief that in the Messianic era, in the time that Jesus would come, the time the Messiah would come, the only offering that would be accepted in the courts was an offering of thanksgiving praise. We live in that Messianic era. We are to be moved by gratitude in our And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, Paul says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's this attitude of gratitude, as we have coined, that Jesus, Paul, and the psalmist calls to. An attitude that isn't ruled and reigned by discontent and complaint, but trust and gratitude for who God is. Trusting what he's doing and our ability to allow our contentment with what we have be the singular most anchor in our lives and in our church communities. So as the worship team comes forward, I invite you to stand with me. And as we close, I'm going to ask that we read Psalm 100 together. And as we read it together as a community, let's make it this commitment to God and to each other that our lives will be ruled and reigned by contentment and, compli- and commitment to who God is and what he's doing. And that will be the singular most thing. Because can you imagine if we're thankful for what we have in front of us, how that will transform our way of living with each other and with God. So I invite you to say this with me. and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let us sing to the Lord because we are ruling and reigning our lives with his goodness and the contentment that brings alone.